You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Hello, 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 and welcome to Hump Day Wednesday. <laughs> I might have had you a little loud there. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. Sorry, everybody. I'm loud. It's Loud Wednesday. It's Loud Wednesday. Loud and Hump proud. Day Wednesday. Hashtag WCW, otherwise known as uh, what? Women Crush Wednesday. Is it really? Yeah. Is it really? On the uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter world. Wait a minute. You, you started off the month, uh, you started off the week with uh, Man Crush Monday. Yep. And now. What was T, what was Tuesday? Tell me about it. Was there a Tuesday hashtag? There isn't. So I called it Taco Tuesday. So Taco I should start Tuesday. my own hashtag. Hashtag Taco Tuesday. Hashtag Taco Tuesday. Is there a hidden meaning to that? Or is it just uh, uh, talking about the beautiful uh, Mexican dish that we all love and no, you know, I'm just being a jerk. Uh, being, <laughs> well, be, being a 30-some-year-old that's trying to exist in the social media space. Right, girl. You know what I'm saying? Own it. Own that's it. right. That's right. Anyway, um, wow, it's already in the middle of the week, and I just feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've been around the, around the world or around a classroom and talking about some great topics here on the yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, I've had a great time since we started here on the Progressive Voices Network and introducing listeners and viewers of Commonwealth Club, um, you know, to LGBT topics and lives. And so, uh, you know, some things that I think that we should absolutely celebrate is the firing of Brian Fisher, who's an anti-gay uh, advocate. <laughs> Talk to me. Tell the details, please. Um, this is this is the guy who, I mean, probably is one of the most hateful you know, anti-gay advocates out there, does a radio show, he's very public about it. I mean, the kind of crazy things that you would never want your children to hear, he's saying about gay people. Is he just on conservative radio or is he on extreme internet? He's on conservative radio. I mean, they're everywhere. He's part of the big Christian media network. Mm. And and so, and a lot of the, uh, you know, anti-gay Christian organizations. Um, So what happened to him? Well, I mean, he was part of a he was part of a situation in which, uh, you know what? I think that we should save that for an interview. Actually, that's coming up later on okay. in the week. Okay, yeah, good deal. I think good we deal. should. Yeah, because I feel like if I tell this story now, then when I actually have that person on as an interview, I'll just blow the whole thing. You just just de- did what I would like to call a deep tease. That's a deep that tease. That was a deep tease because I, you know, okay. Now I'm curious. So now you'll have to stay with us. And, you know, we're on Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Uh, Also, I'll be tweeting all about it. So you can follow me at Ms. Michelle Meow. Um, Another big thing that I wanted to mention before we get into our program uh, is that, uh, you know, I'm I'm um, I called out my my gym. What? You so called? you should you should congratulate me on this. Well, I want to know about first. I'll, I give congrats when I hear the whole story. I can't can give you congratulations on that right wing idiot until I, <laughs> I hear ca- the whole ca- story. So <laughs> I called out my gym and how filthy it is. Oh. And so if anybody has a uh, filthy gym story, please let us know. Head to michellemeow.com and send us your story. and We'll talk about it on the air. What was so, the problem? Um, you know, I would be like, yeah, you know, laying down on the mat and. You know, there's pieces of hair that I oh, see, no, no, no. yeah, and oh, no, dirt no, no. and 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 uh, paint <sighs> chippings and, oh. and and I could just smell people's sweat. And- well, uh, Michelle, oh my, you know, it, 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 remember the rash of a, what was it? What was it called? It was staff. 
And it was like (laughs) people could die. This damn germ that comes from uncleanly sweat transmission. That's what I'm saying. I pay a lot of money for, for the gym, so I know a lot of our LGBTQ listeners know how important it is to work out in a clean space. Right. What did you do to them? Um, I'd sent him a text and an email and, you know, I didn't go as far as posting it publicly because I don't believe in that. Yeah. Well, um, this is fairly public. <laughs> Although you haven't mentioned, right. Although you no. haven't mentioned where they are, who they are. Or... Yep. That's the name. Anyway. <clears throat> so <clears throat> let's, let's just start with our program. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Also, don't forget it's tax season. So if you're going to do your taxes, do it with H&R Block for every new client referral uh, that mentions SF Pride. San Francisco Pride gets $20. So for more information, head to sfpride.org. Our guest today identifies as a queer, undocumented immigrant. He's a project coordinator for United We Dream, an organization that is the largest youth-led immigration organization. He also, just recently, I think announced today, received this year's National LGBTQ Task Force Creating Change Leadership Immigration Reform Award. Let's welcome Carlos Padilla to the show. Carlos, welcome. Thank you, Michelle, for having me at this show and welcoming to your space. Congratulations again, by the way, Thank on that you. award. That is so incredible. So I want to know. I mean, you had you did something important. Yes, um, I think. Uh, I mean, I started organizing since I was seventeen on my particular identity of being undocumented, mm-hmm. and I think this year uh, the uh, National LGBTQ Task Force and the organizers of Creating Change uh, recognized not only my hard work but the hard work of many undocumented queer youth around the country. Right. Um, and gave me the Leadership on Immigration Award. Well, that's so, that's so wonderful. And again, we're, we're excited to have you here. So, Carlos, I was fortunate Thanks. to hear your story on the I Am From Driftwood blog. You were born in Mexico, immigrated here at two years old. Uh, I'm curious to know, you know, when did you come out? So, I mean, I think for many of us, uh, you know, even thinking of coming out, um, particularly in my community, is a, is a process of privilege and understanding, you know, the systems of oppression that have, you know, have placed us to be in the in the shadows, to be in the, you know, in the closet. Um, and I think for me, luckily, um, because of the urgency that I had to, like, no longer just survive, but to actually live, um, I was able to engage in a movement of other undocumented youth leaders like myself around the country um, and started organizing through my undocumented identity. Um, I did it because my mother at that time had to return back to Mexico because one of our family members had passed away. And the, the urgency of having to have her next to me, um, you know, maybe down the road was important and is what it got me activated to start engaging in immigrant rights organizing. Um, but then slowly throughout that process, um, I still knew that I was neglecting and was very much afraid of my queer identity being exposed. Uh, because as a queer, you know, as a queer Latino, we grew up in very uh, um, misogynistic, you know, homophobic uh, certain spaces, not everybody, but I think, you know, just cultural um, spaces where the word joto gets thrown around very easily, um, you know, which is in English comparison to, like, you know, the word faggot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are strong words to grow up with that, you know, cultivated a, a sense of fear when I was growing up. But slowly through my activism, um, at the age of 18, I was able to come out as queer, loud and proud. Yay. Um, and began organizing intentionally on my queer identity and immigrant identity 
as one. So yeah. <laughs> no, earlier this week we touched on the subject of the term queer and how you know youths these uh, these days uh, identify as queer for I think a different reason than um, you know someone who identified mm-hmm. as queer even you know twenty thirty years ago. What does queer mean to you, and what do yeah. you think it means to the to the youth community these days? means a form of activism um, and, you know, a form of revenu- revolutionized, like, sense of mind that incorporates a holistic uh, sense of social justice that brings in a, a lens of racial uh, immigration, economic justice, uh, women's reproductive health, and gender justice as well to it. Um, so I think uh, for someone who identifies as queer is someone who proactively is organizing to achieve liberation for our entire community, um, as opposed to someone, um, you know, who has a very particular agenda um, that has been mainstream. Yeah. Um, and for, yeah, so I think for us, being queer means uh, the space and the platform to, to challenge the, the status quo and to, like, really create change in our communities that are going to achieve liberation. Jeez. No longer be afraid, you know, yeah. be of who you are. I swear, yeah. young people are just so smart, <laughs> so smart <laughs> these days. That was so, so beautifully said. Uh, Michelle Miao here was speaking with Carlos Padilla. He's a project coordinator for United We Dream, an organization that is the largest youth-led immigration organization, and he identifies as a queer, undocumented immigrant. So, Carlos, you know, here in the show, we also address intersectionality, I mean, almost daily, and intersectionality meaning, you know, different parts of us that makes us who we are today. You are an undocumented undocumented uh, queer person of color what it what is life like for you daily that you know people might not understand if they don't have all these intersections coming together well I mean I think before so just to give you a little understanding of like the importance of the space right I think that's I think that's definitely a number one uh, a number one factor of the success uh, of my personal story, the fact that I was able to come into a national immigrant youth-led space, and there was intentionality of creating intersectional uh, safe spaces, and not just safe spaces, but also intersectional like uh, action plans and you know and investment into um, nourishing leadership development of particularly an undocumented queer or intersectional lens. Um, so for someone who does live in undocumented, you know, is you know two identities. Um, and is you know stigmatized and is oppressed uh, every day by this particular two identities. Um, you know, for me, the the first challenge growing up, I remember, was a sense of relevance of being able to talk about you know being being me being an immigrant or undocumented, and also at the same time talking about being queer in immigrant spaces, and then me being you know queer um, in in queer spaces, but also talking about being undocumented, and the, that for a long time that you know. Many people didn't understand why they were interconnected, mm-hmm. but for me, you know, as as an example of a living example that lives every day, what that looks like and what that means, it was important for uh, you know these two movements to understand and not only understand but embrace the fact that um, I believe unique experiences that are apart from just being LGBT and apart from being undocumented. There's um, living the undocumented queer experience is really its own route of particular experience is not the same one as being undocumented and it's not the same same one as just being LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. But it's its own particular route that um, you know, that made me be afraid of that immigration detention system, for example, 
that if I was to fall into the immigration detention system, I was found to be placed in solitary confinement or being 15 times more likely to suffer, you know, being a victim of sexual assault. So, you know, being a DACA queer also meant that I had higher possibilities of dropping out of higher education, of pretty much of, of the education system and, you know, being part of the, um, of the pipeline, uh, you know, a prison pipeline uh, because of my identity, uh, you know, because of being bullied or oppressed throughout my high school years. Um, so it's a very particular experience that really brings in both identities and just like amplifies the systems of oppression. But yeah, um, and, and I can yeah. only imagine. <laughs> so, and, and, and I mean, great. I mean, thank you so much for bringing that up, uh, by the way, because uh, we don't talk about that enough and just kind of how dangerous it is actually for undocumented queer youth. Uh, but also, I mean, it, you have to work twice as hard or three times as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you did. You, you know, uh, uh, stayed and you got an education and now you're working for a national organization you know, for other documented queers. And I uh, congratulate you on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, and I mean, I won't tell you it's been easy. I think um, I, I still have not been able to finish my uh, bachelor's degree. Um, I was studying uh, political science and um, social uh, uh, social studies, and um, you know, it's been definitely a tough road. I think for me, it's understanding that education comes in various forms: uh, um, one through the community, one through work experience, and one through personal commitment, um, and as well as education institution. It's for me making it okay that. Um, particularly the Indaka queer experience is not one that's a traditional one. Um, even our families, many of the cases are not, you know, traditional mom and dad families. Many of us, you know, for me particularly, I grew up with us in a single parent household um, with my mother. Um, but for many others that are Indaka queer, due through family rejection, you know, they've had to live with, you know, uncles, parents, abuelitas. Um, so for our particular experience, it's very unique. Um, but showing that uh, our lived experiences um, are not the only ones, that there's many of us um, out there and that we need to really, like, amplify that because uh, we need to make it to traditional, like, right. you know, the t- traditional stance so that we don't feel so isolated and, exactly. like, afraid all the time. Exactly. And then, you know, we'll we'll continue this discussion after the break, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, these executive orders that President Obama had uh, released last year. So stick around with us after the break. It's the Michelle Meow Show. We'll be right back. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, 
Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. On the phone with us is Carlos Padilla. He's a project coordinator for United We Dream, and we're discussing uh, being undocumented, the immigration policies here in this country, and how that affects a queer youth. Carlos, um, I mentioned, you know, right before the break, that I would love to touch on the uh, president. I mean, he announced last year a series of executive orders that would grant temporary status to undocumented immigrants. And also, you know, that status would include work papers, um, you know, legal status of, of, of working here. Uh, how has the executive orders, how has that affected you at all? Has that affected mm-hmm. undocumented queer youths? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the result of, the, you know, the president action taking action uh, on immigration is, an, is a, a clear result of what does movement power look like? Um, take, I mean, you know, I think for people who are listening today, uh, the president, you know, didn't come up with this right idea to one day give um, protections to undocumented youth. And, and now as of, as of November, um, many of their families, right? Um, it happened because undocumented youth began organizing and challenging the status quo, many who were queer and women leading the spaces. Um, and it, be, it began by, you know, really coming out of the shadows and showing, you know, the country the moral dilemma that our communities were going through and the pain that we were enduring every day because of our immigration status. Um, and in 2012, uh, it was the first time where a president took executive action in such a large scale to grant prosecutorial discretion from deportation relief. Um, which was what, which was called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival. Um, and it granted undocumented youth like myself who came at a young age um, the relief of being uh, of deportation. Um, and it provided, you know, of course, if you qualify, you know, if you fit certain requirements, came at a, at, a, at the age before 16, um, had had some sort of a, a educational accomplishment, that you would then qualify for a work permit, work permit and, again, the relief from not being deported. Um, and in 2012, undocumented youth, once again, you know, we did what we always do best, which is we convene and we organize and we strategize to uh, amplify that victory for our communities. Um, and we decided to really um, aim for the big picture, which was the 11 million, um, you know, aiming to making sure that our families uh, were also protected from the deportation machine. Um, and in 2014, after two years of organizing, of galvanizing the community, um, the president uh, once again was moved and uh, took action uh, to grant uh, relief from deportation 
So unfortunately, not all 11 million it grants uh, deportation relief to nearly 5 million people um, who have uh, familial ties, uh, which are particularly to children of U.S. citizens um, or children of, uh, or sorry, parents of U.S. citizen children or uh, resident children of the United States. Um, now, with that said, uh, you know, it is a victory that the community won, but unfortunately, um, it still left many of the 267,000 undocumented LGBTQ uh, adult population out. Um, not all, but many, because of the of the barriers of having children when you're LGBTQ, and particularly, you know, having children um, while also, you know being LGBTQ and undocumented, whether it's through like you know, um, uh, you know, being a sponsor or being a guardian of a child. Um, I think it becomes more tough when you're undocumented. So, right. Um, which, I which, think that's- yeah, which, you know, was uh, my next point in, in kind of talking to you. I mean, sounds like the president has made, has made, has made much progress on the current situation of uh, undocumented people here in this country, but his term is almost up. You know, in 2016, we'll yeah. be looking at uh, electing a new president. You know, what will organizations like your organization and others who deal with immigration um, you know, what work needs to be done? Obviously, immigration reform needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think for our, our United Woodrooms this year, we're really organizing on, on two things. One is uh, um, it's protecting the victory that the community won, which is immigration action for um, all 5 million people, um, and making sure that, you know, members of Congress that are, are threatening any form of uh, of tactics to eliminate this program um, are confronted and are, are held accountable to their words and actions. Um, and that's where we as United We Dream will respond and be there every day to protect this, this victory that the community wants, right? And then the second thing is that within United We Dream, we are making, we're launching the most robust and strongest implementation action to making sure that we get as many undocumented communities to apply for this program because we've seen from the 2012 victory that when more people um, get relief from deportation, that they're exposed to this movement that we're part of, that they start organizing to create the change that our community needs. Um, Because we start building political power um, by empowering our own community to stand up and fight back. So that's what we're really focusing on this year. Um, So, you know, to continue making sure that... uh, our community, I mean, you know, for us, with, within United We Dream, um, something that we've learned is that our trust does not fall on politics, but it falls on our community and the power that we build within. Um, so that's what we're really focusing on for the 2015 uh, year. Mm-hmm. So that 2016, when 2016 comes, you know, the, uh, the question is no longer, you know, you know, if immigration reform is going to pass, is, um, you know, when is it going to pass? And, uh you know, pretty much making sure that all of our community is included. So wow. that only falls when we continue yeah. to build power with our community. I, I definitely agree and commend you for the work that you're doing uh, to address this. I wanted to bring back uh, our attention earlier. You mentioned, you know, coming out and uh, also the, a part of you being Latino um, and coming out uh, into as far as like our community goes, right? The queer community. Mm-hmm. 
At any point when you came out as an undocumented uh, queer, when you put the undocumented in front of the queer, did that have any negative response from someone who was also queer and, un, you know, not undocumented? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, so, I think growing up, my biggest fear was not necessarily with my parents um, or my, my immediate family. It was always on the, on being afraid that, um, because our family was already, you know, undocumented and adding the stigma to, you know, having a queer person in their family, you know, um, I think for me the fear was like uh, causing more more troubles to my parents, um, you know, since they already had to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, growing up in America, you know, and growing up, you know, as being queer, I just my number one priority was to not make my parents' life uh, more complicated. And I think for me, um, it's what, you know, really troubled me growing up because for me, uh, the understanding that being queer was a trouble um, was rooted on, the, on, our, you know, on our cultural and social, like, upbringings, right? Um, and luckily, again, like, as I mentioned, the immigrant youth movement is the one that really embraced me and empowered me to no longer think like that and think that it's actually a strength in our community. Right. But, right. Um, yeah. So and I think that, you know, I think that that's where, you know, my particular coming out story when my parents come out. But in terms of my organizing and uh, and, you know, activism, I think, yes, it definitely has uh Challenge because I think growing up, especially when I started first organizing as undocumented, I would organize primarily a lot in, in um, faith communities, um, and I mean I think that they're right. still there and that they and that they really want to like be there supportive, um, but there is certain limitations of how much support they can provide um, or how much like transqueer liberation they can like promote. Um, with right. certain limitations of the faith community, right? Because I think for many undocumented people, our first form of organizing comes from our church. Yeah, yeah. So I got you know one last question for you. I mean, Mexico. Um, we've seen some parts have already started recognizing same-sex marriage, while at the same time, you know, social experiences of LGBTs who live in Mexico uh, might not be that accepting. So, you know, do you know what the perception is of gay people in Mexico, and and how do Mexicans view gay Mexicans? Yeah, so, I mean, I think I was so privileged enough um, to actually, for the first time after 15 years, uh, to go back to Mexico um, in October, this past October, because of Deferred Action. Deferred Action has also a program that's called Advanced Pro that permits, uh, permits you to travel back to Mexico, right? Of course, under certain uh, reasonings. Um, and I was able to, with one, finally, you know, go back into the country that I, you know, I was born from, um, and really experience what it meant to be queer um, in, in Mexico, right? So I think like any other location, I think uh, the American government or just, you know, the, you know, the U.S. Um, government has blinded itself that a city like Mexico City has same-sex marriage or small towns in like northern Mexico has progressive policies in, you know, in local uh, government. Um, and then for one reason or another, they feel that they can generalize the entire country. Um, and for me, who I actually grew up in the countryside, and all my family continues to reside in the countryside in Mexico, in Jalisco, um, I was able to experience, you know, just even walking down the street and right off the bat, as soon as I got to Mexico, being called faggot, <laughs> which is really bad, you know. Yeah. They call me Joto, 
Um, and I think for me, you know, I just shook it off, and I think, you know, it's luckily I've been empowered to not allow those words to, you know, to hurt me. But I think for me, seeing what the, you know, that there is strong, resilient queer community fighting back, but there's also many of them who have fallen through the cracks, have been, uh, you know, socially oppressed uh, constantly that um, has pushed them into certain, um, you know, uh, mental health problems and in in, in, in they have been seen as the, you know, the mentally challenged of the community. And I think for me, being going back to Mexico for that week um, was really heartbreaking because, you know, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't lie to you if, I, if it crossed my mind that, oh, what about if I return to Mexico, if I no longer have to endure this, like, constant feeling of having to fight for my, for my belonging in a country? Um, that did cross my mind, but I think, you know, it just, I had to cry and say, like, you know, unfortunately, Mexico um, is not where I belong. This is not the place where I will be able to truly be free because, you know, there is still so much oppression happening in Mexico. Right, right. Well, Carlos, I look forward to the day that I don't have to say, Carlos, my undocumented queer friend, um, (laughs) because it should just be Carlos. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, Carlos. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. For more information on Carlos's work, you can head to unitedwedream.org. Don't go away. When we come back, we address Mary Cheney's comment about drag queens. So you don't want to miss that. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show. We'll be right back. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. 
um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. So CNN finally reported on something worth discussing, all thanks to a Facebook post by Mary Cheney. So Mary, little Mary, <laughs> the daughter of the former Vice President Dick Cheney, posted this. Why is it socially acceptable as a form of entertainment for men to put on dresses, makeup, and high heels and act out every offensive stereotype of women? Parentheses, bitchy, catty, dumb, slutty, etc. But it's not socially acceptable as a form of entertainment for a white person to put on blackface and act out offensive stereotypes of African-Americans. So she asks, shouldn't both be okay or neither? So, of course, this has created a response from the LGBTQ community. Our next guest is Dominic Scudera. He's a professor of theater at Ursinus College who's responded in a very public way, writing an article in the Huffington Post addressing her comment. He's also a drag queen and so is his husband. Yach! Anyway, (laughs) Dominic, welcome to the program. Hi, Michelle. It's nice to talk with you. Yes, absolutely. So... Let's just put it out there. Why is drag socially accepted, but blackface is not? Well, I think, uh, first, it it is a legitimate question. I'm just surprised that Mary Cheney would put it out there on Facebook in in sort of a degrading way, but it's a legitimate question to ask. And for me, um, the quick answer is simply to say that drag queens are not intentionally... um, demeaning or degrading women in any way. In fact, I think a drag queen is taking, uh, it's usually a gay man in today's society, taking uh, the best parts of himself and putting them out there in a public way um, and celebrating that part of himself, whereas uh, a blackface performer in minstrel shows in the 19th century were creating characters that weren't anything like themselves. They were not taking a part of themselves, except maybe an ugly part of themselves, and they were intentionally making buffoons of the characters that they were creating. Right, exactly. I couldn't tell. I mean, her statement almost, almost uh, as I read it, 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 to me, it was like like she would rather see blackface as entertainment than drag queens. Or uh, did I? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Mary. She could. She could. She could be. Uh, racist, then then I would be making a uh, uh, an assumption that, you know, could be offensive right. to her, right? Yeah, I mean, I really don't know what she thinks. She really put this out in, in a quick, weird kind of question. Um, and you don't know what her opinion is. I mean, perhaps she legitimately wants to start a dialogue. I think the way she chose to do that is not perhaps the healthiest way to start a real dialogue about this question. So it's hard to to say what her motivations are and what her opinions really are. 
Sure, yes. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate because I'm a woman, cisgender, uh, non-conforming lesbian, but uh, nonetheless, I think that, you know, I, I still uh, think of myself as a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, uh, there are drag queens, though, that I feel, especially in today's time, uh, that definitely dress up as women, and then you get into this... Um, you get into this confusion that it, is it a persona? Is it for entertainment? Or do I actually identify you using female pronouns? Um, what do you what do you think of that? Well, I mean, I would say, sure, there are drag queens that present women in crazy, maybe not the best light. But there's also women who do the same thing, you know, on a television show. And you can't say that all women actors um, just because a few of them might present derogatory characterizations that all women actors are, um, you know, demeaning women, it doesn't make any sense. So there, there might be a few uh, drag queens that are offensive to some, but that doesn't mean that all men who um, create female characters are doing something in a mean-spirited way. It's kind of painting things in a very broad stroke if right. you want to say something like right. that. And I only mention that because, I mean, historically speaking, when you think about drag queens mm-hmm. way back when, and you, you mentioned this in your article, you know, the, yeah. uh, drag queens raise money for our community. Um, Absolutely. And, and they're a huge part of the LGBTQ community. And then I look at, you know, some drag queens today who might be a lot younger uh, mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, especially ones who've performed at Stonewall anyway. Um, and and they seem to, it, all it, all that it is in what, I guess my opinion, this is directly just my opinion, by the way, so you could you can write an article about me tomorrow if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, that it's, it's you know, it's just a, a, a way of, uh, again, making money not exactly for the community or, you know, the importance of drag queens to our community seems to have diminished. Or am I just being a, a, a silly drama queen? I think that the role of the drag queen today has shifted in the past, say, 10 years. And you're right. So the younger generation coming up that are interested in drag see it in a completely different way than someone like me who's 50 years old, um, you know, because they may not know the history of the drag queen in LGBTQ um, experience. And they just see the glamour of it and the excitement of it uh, on television on RuPaul's Drag Race and, you know, maybe for some it is a quick way to be famous and um, ex- have excitement in your life or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Know, but, but in a way, that, that's a nice thing that they were able to grow up and see that that could be a path for them to take, whereas someone in my generation would never think I could make a living from dressing up in women's clothes, and, you know, there there just wasn't that option, and today there is. So in some way, it's a good thing that that the younger generation is able to see new ways to express themselves and see an art form that they can contribute to. Right, right, exactly. I almost was, you know, I was going to propose this idea that there should be like a mama drag queen who mentors some of these younger ones, uh, just because I, I do really think that drag queens, again, play a very important and historical role in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, let, talking about the community, right, I feel like our community has evolved to accept and include uh, other identities. 
And when you think about the drag community and the transgender community, I mean, there are some transgender people who view drag queens as offensive to them because yeah. of the entire, you know, man in a dress thing. And it's very sensitive to trans women. Um, yeah. You know, what what's your response to that? Well, you know, I have a lot of friends who are trans and who are also part of the drag community. And I think people forget those particular people, those communities intersect sometimes, and it isn't so, um, you know, us against them. And so when, when there was the issue between um, the drag community and the trans community that was kind of popping up um, a couple of months ago, I was, I was upset in a way that those two communities couldn't find more linkages because there are so many and could work together. Um, you know, I think part of it is is other people's ignorance who think it's the same community or think that someone who is trans is a drag queen and they don't understand the difference. Right. And therefore, it would be upsetting for a trans person to be misidentified by someone else, but that doesn't that's not the drag queen's fault necessarily. It's really the ignorance of others who don't understand the different, the, you know, the, the the variance in gender, and um, people see things as, you know, this this binary, and that's it, and they don't right. understand all the different shades that are in there. No, thank you. I think that was very well said. Um, and those are just a couple questions that I've heard, you know, that have been thrown out there. I mean, I think. Here in San Francisco, even, you know, Sister Roma, who's who's nationally well-known as a, a drag queen, um, has had to address that topic with the trans community. And so it's an ongoing conversation. How long have you been doing drag? Um, well, I don't know, off and on forever, I would say. But, you know, my husband and I have been doing drag more and more in the past, I don't know, seven or eight years. And we started doing it actually uh, on a regular basis to help with um, the AIDS Fund, the Philadelphia AIDS Fund. And we perform at an event every month called Gay Bingo. And, you know, it's, I talked about this with my class last semester. In the past, I would say, 10 years since RuPaul has become so popular, drag queens are used in all types of events to draw a crowd and um, entertain people. And because of that, power, in a sense, I, I'd like to think of it as power, we're able to help um, raise money for different um, organizations, and, and that's what we've done a lot of, the, the two of us. We just really enjoy giving back to our community in that way, because we don't have a lot of money necessarily to give ourselves, but we could help to entertain to raise money, and right. this is the, the expression that we've chosen it to... And I think that that's universal or general with the drag community, by the way. I mean, you know, there's really only one RuPaul. It's not like there's a godzillion RuPaul's running around out there with a television show. So I think Mary Cheney's kind of, uh, she's being a drama queen, actually. Or drama, uh, you know, and it's unfortunate that Mary Cheney, who's a lesbian, um, you know, feels this way. And I, I happen to think, in, you know, she grew up privileged, probably didn't hang out in the gay ghettos, if you will, uh, didn't right. have the uh, certain oppressions or uh, the things that you talk about in your article that gay lesbian people, you know, went through, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think she doesn't necessarily um, ask the question in the right venue. 
So, you know, if she really wanted to know more, if she really has been isolated and is wondering, you know, what is drag all about and is it, in fact, demeaning if we really break it down, I think she could have reached out to friends or colleagues or other people within our community to ask that question. By putting it on Facebook, she has to know as a public figure that the media is going to pick up on that. And the way she phrased things, she really was um, equating drag with something very shameful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what her motivation would be to do that. It doesn't seem that, um, you know, maybe she just doesn't have the right networking around her to be able to have a real dialogue with some friends in obviously. the gay community. Obviously. I, I would feel that she's limited on the... Uh you know, queer people in our community and probably limited, you know, as far as, uh, you know, black people, Asian people, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, you know trans people. I don't know. We don't know, but they're, they're not a right. part of our circles. And I'm very glad and happy that you came on the show to clarify and respond to that comment. I thought it was a beautiful way of commenting back. So, Dominic, thank you so much for joining us here on, on our, our program. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can read more of Dominic's work at the Huffington Post, Gay Voices, uh, and uh, he's at Dominic Scudera. When we come back, I think I should ask, you know, Dennis, our producer, as a straight white guy who grew up in uh, San Francisco all his life, he probably has met a drag queen or two, and, <laughs> and see what his thoughts are as far as Mary Cheney's comments. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show, and uh, we'll be right back. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. What up? Hump day, Wednesday, hashtag WCW. What? what? <laughs> Women crush Wednesday. Is that what it is? Okay. I guess. So yeah. women crush Wednesday, women crushing on women? Is that what it is? Or is it your woman crush, which for a straight oh, guy I- would be... A, a yeah, woman you like. It's a woman you like. It's a woman you're right, crushing right on. on. Right um, on. I guess, you know, I, I guess I should say Mary Cheney. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, sure. right. No, just to clarify for you, Dennis, our lovely producer here, um, uh, Mary Cheney is a lesbian. So the reason I asked you off the air about that was a lot of these conservative guys have, you know, gay or liberal people in their family that they, okay, well, it's okay them, but, you know, they're constantly against LGBT rights or anything that's, you know, uh, somewhat liberal. I'm talking, for instance, Ron Reagan Jr. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and these people scare me, you know, because they just think that the rules don't apply to them because they're rich or they, you know, are socialites and they kind of roll with people who who. You know, they don't care who you sleep with yeah. uh, in the bedroom. Um, and so anyway. What's um, Mary Ma- Cheney's trip? What, why as a lesbian woman, an out lesbian woman, what, uh, what's her point? Well, it's, I it's mean, a ridiculous here's point. Here's the thing, Dennis, and, and some people say this as uh, straight allies of the LGBTQ community. And, and you know, they, they start to learn things about the community. And they're actually often surprised by how many uh, different opinions there are, and there are issues of racism, there are issues of sexism, you know, you name it, ageism. Gay gay on gay hate. I mean, it's the old black on black, you know, crime. So anyway, uh, her response in kind of comparing blackface to drag queens, uh, it's it's obviously uh, has gone viral, and a lot of people have had responses to that, and one response that we absolutely should include would be RuPaul's. And so you found this clip on YouTube because we should give credit where credit's due. Um, but supposedly it's a message to Mary Cheney uh, by RuPaul. Let's check it out. This season, the different styles of drag raised a lot of questions. So we put together a little herstory lesson. Learn it and learn it well. What is drag? Drag is underground and over the top. Drag is political and politically incorrect. Drag is camp and couture. Drag is punk and mainstream. Drag is a laugh riot and it could start a revolution. Drag is never having to say you're sorry because drag is all about being whoever the hell you want to be. And drag brings people together. Now reach out and touch a drag queen's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Time to take a stand and come Ever takes itself too seriously. 
Seriously. Back rows. <laughs> That's pretty funny. RuPaul, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, March 2nd, I guess yeah. it's premiering. So, Dennis, I said before the break, you know, I, I wanted to hear your opinion of Mary Cheney's comment as a straight white guy who's, uh, you know, lived in San Francisco all his life, or yeah, at least raised here, born here. Okay. Yep. You know, we, we talked about this, you and I, before, but, but growing up here and even my parents and, you know... Uh, San Francisco was a pretty conservative, pretty conservative, very conservative town. But there was always the Finocchio's aspect. Mm -hmm. Finocchio's was a, a club on, a uh, nightclub on Broadway that had all drag performers. And there were several of these clubs. Not that gay people, you know, during the time of the Compton Cafeteria Riots, which I knew nothing about until you started doing a show on it and we talked to Conchita and all that stuff. Um, you know, there was always that and the city's always been different and on the cutting edge. So as, as far as I know, drag queens, it's, it's mostly a celebratory thing. I remember as a teenager seeing and hearing about the Cockettes and Sylvester down in North beach at the theater and they became big. And Sylvester became, you know, big disco star and a big star. So how old were you when you saw your first drag performance A teenager, a young adult? Oh no, but, but, but I was aware of it because when I went to North Beach or hung out in North Beach, you would see yeah. the posters for the cockettes and stuff, you know. I mean, did you ever feel that, you know, these guys were uh, exploiting women or that, you know, you'd viewed them as offensive to women at all? No, I, I didn't because, uh, you know, to be honest, comedians have done it for years. And there's a, there's a comic aspect to a lot of besides the politics and, you know, all of the good, you know, things that the sisters do. And uh, there's always been a comedic thing. So. When I was a little kid, Milton Berle used to be on, and he always did a drag character. At the end of his show, there he was in a wig and a dress, you know. Mm -hmm. So, no, more of a comedic thing. For Mary Cheney to bring up blackface. Blackface, I mean, I've just recently, I'm, I'm reading about, you know, the greatest movies of all time and the silent film um, uh, Birth of a Nation. It was a pro-Klan film with white guys playing in blackface um, horrible, horrible uh, stereotypes of, of of black people, and it set ra not race relations weren't good at the time, but it set off riots in the streets, and and it was a resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. Horrible. So you know, for anybody to say, oh well, why can't people do blackface? Unbelievable. Unbel right. And and she knows better. She knows better. Does so she? she <laughs> I, don't I don't know, know, man. You come from a political family. You don't have any sense in your mind to know how wrong it is to compare blackface to some something else like that? It's, I don't know. It, it's shocking to me. Shocking. Well, like I told you, you know, like people like Mary Cheney, like very privileged uh, people, they scare me. You know, they, yeah. they kind of live in a world where they think they're invincible and they can say or do whatever they want uh, without, you know, thinking that the rules apply to them. Let um, me ask you a question about yeah. Mary Cheney as, as much as you know. Is she someone that is, uh, you, you know, she's an out lesbian, uh, but is she pro-LGBT causes? Let's just put it this way. This is the woman who gave Mitt Romney money. <laughs> you say no more. Say no more. You know, the... Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm, just, no. I'm just sitting here just going, wow. No, I know. And, and I know that you and I have had uh, banter, you know, back and forth when we have uh, had discussions about drag queens yeah. and uh, the transgender community and, and kind of what is considered offensive. I do really, really, really honestly think some of the newer drag queens who 
um, are, are, are very, uh, I don't know, competitive, I guess, against each other because they're doing it for money, uh, to raise money for themselves, not exactly for the community. Well, there's always been an entertainment aspect to a lot of drag. Entertainers should be paid for their time. Yes. I totally understand. And, And it, and it costs a lot of money by the way, you know, to, to get into drag. The time, just knowing we're working here with some of the, you know, with, with BB Sweet Briar and having Sister Roman, and I know that it's it's a, uh, you know, as much time as it takes for somebody to get into stage makeup or that, they, they take hours and hours to, to get into mm-hmm. their persona. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why sometimes it's like, is this thing going to be filmed? Because if, we, if I can, I'd rather come as... Right. Not in drag. But I guess like where I'm going with this is that, you know, you at one point had even asked a uh, drag queen, well, should I refer to you as he or she? And, and there, the, the education or the communication was lost there. And I think that totally. it's important for drag queens uh, who don't necessarily identify as, you know, a, a different gender um, should absolutely be open about my, you know, my persona, my character uh, being um, you know, so-and-so. Like Trying that, to be PC, PC in, in our environment here. Yeah. And, 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 and in, you know, just yeah. in, in daily in, in daily society. But trying to be PC um, with the drag queens that I've dealt with, it's always she and her. I Just because... Well, when in I've, drag, it makes sense. But outside of drag, it doesn't. And, you but know, if I'm referring to somebody as their drag name, and whether they're, I think that's appropriate. Like for example, we talk about Sister Roma. We'll say she, but you know, even Sister Roma, when Sister Roma's out of costume, yeah, refers to himself as his real name. Okay, um, and and that's funny that we say real name because Sister oh. Roma, being the leader of my name is hashtag my name is on right. Facebook. Hey, how ironic! But that's why Sister Roma is one of my most favorite drag queens because the I feel best. like you know she. Absolutely communicates the cause that's important to the community uh, while in drag, you know, represents herself well and while outside of drag, you know, identifies in the appropriate manner. On drag, on drag crush Wednesdays when we do that, (laughs) that's my drag, that's my drag crush there. I just think Sister Rome is one of the best people, man. I just, you know, especially uh, when when you spoke to uh, her. Um, and she was very open about, uh, you know, her, her, her drug use and health problems with that. And mm-hmm. evidently it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing. And, you know, I would think with anybody that, uh, where they're at nightclubs and doing late things, you know, there's going to be a, a drug and alcohol problem, but so open and just, that's, that's a great person. You know, yeah. that's just, I, I really yeah. like this. Well, anytime someone like Mary Cheney brings up, you know, a, a comment like that, that obviously, you, you know, we, you know, it's racist or, or yeah. it's homophobic or something like that. I always make that comment. Well, what would you do if there were no more drag queens? We would be so bored. Yeah. Boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us today for Wednesday Hump Day. We, we will be back tomorrow, Thursday, um, little Friday, <laughs> at the same time, oh, 4 o'clock no. Pacific Standard oh, Time. No. For everything else, all of our content, head to michellemeow.com. Have a good evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You can catch the Michelle Meow Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.
tune into The Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices. Thank you.